The Wark Awards for Effectiveness are back for 2024, and they have evolved. We're looking for campaigns that celebrate strategic brilliance and effective impact across 12 categories in five new regional shows, including North America. I'm Anne-Marie Kerwin, and as Wark's America's editor, I see the great work being done every day. Now's the time to get the recognition for your most effective and brilliant work. The great news is you just need to enter once for the chance to win in your region and be in line for the Global Grand Prix. The Grand Prix will be announced during Cannes Lions Week, where you can prove your campaign is one of the most effective in the world. We're open for entries now. Early bird deadline is December 12th, and the final deadline is February 6th. For more info on the fees and regions covered, head to work.com to download your entry pack. Strategic brilliance, effective impact, it's the award show you've been waiting for. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. I'm Lena Rowland, Head of Content for Walk Strategy, and today we're talking about sports sponsorship. We've had some really big sporting events this year, including the recent ICC Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup and the FIFA Women's World Cup, to name but a few. Big sporting occasions such as these offer marked as something that is increasingly elusive in today's fragmented media landscape, and that is access to mass reach, highly engaged audiences. Now, this means sponsorship is having a moment. And with more big sporting moments to come next year, including the Summer Olympics and the Men's UEFA European Football Championships, we wanted to take a fresh look at sports sponsorship and how it is evolving. Now, to do this, we had the pleasure of working with James Williams, a global sports marketing consultant who curated a four-part content series published on Walk. The series covered themes like the role of creativity in sponsorship. And yes, sponsorship can be creative. We also looked at how to maximise ROI, the role of sponsorship in the media mix and the rise of values-based partnerships, which we'll hear more about today. And I'm delighted to say that James is joining me today. James, welcome to the Walk podcast. Hi, Lena. Uh, Great to see you again and great to be part of this. Looking forward to it. Great. James, I know about your extensive experience in this area, but for the purposes of our listeners, can you share a bit more about your background? Uh, Yeah, happy to. Um, As I said, 25 years, um, I guess, executive across sports and marketing. Um, Started off in agency side, moved across to client side. Um, So each team always embedded in kind of sports sponsorship and passion point sponsorship and then at Coca-Cola, I spent 16 years within their marketing team and then uh, traveled the world very luckily in the Olympics. So London 2012, then went to Brazil to work on Rio 2016 and finally to Tokyo 2020, where uh, put together one of uh, Coca-Cola's most successful Olympics on record um, on multiple different measures. And after that, it was time to hang up my boots and return to the UK and, um, you know, try a different path of really trying to change the way that we approach sponsorship and sports and marketing as we move forward. And that's what I'm going to share more of today. So looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to the discussion. And just um, by the way, I can see the Olympic torch in the background, which is awesome. So thank you for that, James. And I'm also delighted to be joined by Eileen McManaman, founder and managing partner of 5T Sports Group. Now, Eileen wrote an excellent piece for the four-part series. She looked at the rise of values-based partnerships. 
Eileen, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to be here with you, Lena. Great stuff. All right, so let's get stuck in. James, I'll start with you. Um, First up, can you give us some background into why you were keen to work with Walk on this series? Well, I think, um, I guess, through my my experience and also working with Eileen on various programs that really start to see that I think the sponsorship and sports world is in a bit of a tipping point in terms of there's a lot of things that need to change and we need to look at this in terms of effectiveness, um, not just in the return on investment because that is massively important, but fundamentally, how does sport as one of the most powerful you know, marketing tools and sponsorship that's out there really start to deliver over and above just some of the awareness elements or commercial returns that we've done? It's broader now. Sport needs to deliver more to society, It needs to deliver better engagement. And the pandemic really demonstrated that. So for me, this is where it came from, speaking with you guys and kind of going, look, where is there? How can we make this better? How can we get sport and sponsorship do more, not only for business, but also for society as a whole? That makes sense. Um, And we were certainly delighted to collaborate with you on that. Um, Now, James, in in the piece you wrote for Walk, you start by outlining six ways brands can secure long-term relevance and resonance in this kind of like new era, I guess. Um, So do you want to just talk a little bit about, about those yeah, and sure. And I'll, I'll I'll try to keep them quite short. So I guess there was six six of them. The first one being about integrating long-term legacies. I think some of these things with longer-term sponsorship deals, you've got to start to embed both from a rights holder and from a brand point of view, a lot more longer-term kind of metrics so you can see what's happening. I think the second one for me was all really about embracing tangible and intangible benefits. I think sometimes we get so caught up on the the data and the numbers in terms of of those kind of awareness numbers that we forget about sometimes the intangible benefits this can have on communities within those kind of areas, both on the business side and on the sports side. The third point for me was about ESG integration. I mean, let's face it, it's talked about in all over the place, but for me, Right now, every sponsorship conversation is probably going to involve ESGs and how that can be included. But people don't need to, don't really know how to do that. And that's why we've got a good group of people that can help us kind of really understand that for more success. Mm-hmm. Um, the last three were just share values and employee engagement. And this, as we look at a time in a market where you've got to be better at in, engaging and retaining employees and that's how you can get shared values with the sponsorship kind of programs that are in place, that there's a shared kind of return on this, which is also much more internal than external facing. And then the last two was robust metrics and business objectives. Um, having worked with many sponsors in many parts of the world, you'd be surprised at how many people don't have a mm-hmm. business objective for when they take on sponsorship, which is quite scary, but, uh, but that's true. And, and really getting those metrics shows what you can learn and build off it. And then the final one, and we've seen this many, many times in the recent history, if you look at reputational management, this is what is fundamental. Trust is key and critical in the future for brands, for sponsorship, for sports. So you've got to be able to manage that. And there's some great examples throughout the whole article um, that give you you know, knowledge and ideas and, and examples of how that's done. 
Eileen, I'd love to bring you in now. Let's talk about values-based partnerships. What exactly is this? Yeah, I mean, to keep it very succinct, a values-aligned partnership is one that's centered on social impact. The primary goal and objective of the two partners, brand and sports property, is to realize and to collaborate and realize an environmental, social or economic impact. Um, And again, that's versus the transitional, traditional transactional kind of marketing and sales goals that are quite narrow when you think about it, not incorporating the broader business objectives um, that may be present for for the brand and and for the rights holder. And Eileen, in your piece, you you outline, you know, this isn't just a nice to have, but there's actual there's big benefits towards being more values based in your marketing. Um, can you can you explain why why this is so important? Yeah, we talk about five key forces that are in play right now, and James touched on a number of them. But just to kind mm-hmm. of give it back that that punch, um, one every brand is facing regulation and reporting demands, um, as you see that coming down in, in Europe with the CRSD, other places on this side of the pond, I'm in North America, um, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission demands this reporting. So that's a very real regulatory pressure. The other corporate citizenship commitments that are so key to, again, retaining and recruiting employees and recruiting and retaining investors as well. So market demands. Uh, on the on the let's call it the internal side, the market demands on the external side are consumer expectations, and we have some stunning statistics. Eighty six percent of consumers expect companies to stand for more than profit. Eighty one percent expect public declarations of advocacy and commitments around social and environmental issues, and thirty three percent are prepared to punish a brand that doesn't do the right thing. And when I say brand, that extends to the sports rights holder as well. So on the fourth and fifth key forces, we have greater sensitization to these issues. As we know, whatever happens, it comes out in social media very quickly. Um, and people are, have, have often knee-jerk reactions, which we'll, we should talk about in a bit. But the last one, and I don't want to bring anybody down, these are systemic tensions. We're going to continue, especially with the climate pressures and natural pressures that we face, um, to also have the socio-political pressures that uh, argue about how we address them. So we're going to remain in a bit of a polycrisis mode. It's important for people to take a stand for something um, and act on it, whether they do it 100% right or not. You can't really stand on the sidelines as we continue to face multiple crises. Uh, I mean, so there's there's the kind of um, regulatory pressures, consumer pressures, investors, employees. There's a lot going on. Um, so that's certainly um, we're hearing a lot more about that. So, Eileen, you're deep in this work. Um, can you just outline some of the benefits that you're seeing from brands that are taking a values-based approach to their partnerships? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, meeting those demands, meeting those expectations is number one. Um, you know, a brand wants to deliver on its promise. That's that's always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, another is the opportunity to share your story in a very positively charged environment. Sports are one of those places where we go. We're, we're happy when we get there. We're, we're, we're all aligned in the same direction. 
Um, another is that sponsorship in particular offers a long form storytelling option for brands. So there's a real benefit to telling these stories in this particular medium uh, because you have multiple kicks at the can, so to speak, over the course of a season or over several years with a particular property. Um, and finally, one of the ones that coming back to the original premise of sponsorship, we're seeing anywhere from a three to a 10x fan engagement over and above on, P on posts that a brand might make in conjunction with a sports property around a social or an environmental issue versus a post they might make that's just a general, hey, come out to the game or win a jersey. or mm. uh, So three to 10x, that's pretty compelling, even if you just look at it from the marketing standpoint. That's really interesting. I want to pick up on the long-term storytelling as well, because James, you talk about that in your piece, don't you? Yeah, I think that's the thing is, if you talk about this, and I think where Eileen talks about partnership, I think if you look at some of the sponsorship deals that can be five or 10 years, actually, you can build a consistent narrative of impact and change within those kind of things that really do that fans, consumers really do engage with. So for me, if you can get that, and as Eileen said, like sport provides you with a platform that you rarely find anywhere else mm. or anywhere else, where you can really fundamentally see the change and build on it year on year. Now, the problem is, is not many brands or rights holders are doing that. And it's about connecting those two and really starting to see, you know, taking that power of sport, fundamentally shifting the dial on these societal measures, whilst also delivering good, solid business returns at the same time. And at the moment, we don't see them to be connected. And, mm -hmm. and that, I think, is a bit of a challenge. There are some some good players out there, but there's significantly more room for more to do for more brands and rights holders to do more in this area. So let's talk about those good players. Give us some examples between you of brands that are actually demonstrating good values-based partnerships. Well, I'm sure Aline's probably got a list as well. Um, I mean, we we both very fortunately been part of the Laureus Sport for Good Awards, and a lot of Aileen's work is based on on the index, and that's how we choose those. And there is some phenomenal brands out there. I mean, across there, there's you know recently Lego joined it, and we see how that's really worked very well. We've got the usual likes of you know um, Arcteryx, Toyota, Visa, all these kind of brands that I think are doing it. But even as a judge on this, we are seeing some great programs, but we're not seeing scale for me in so many ways. And that the bit is, how do we connect these pieces with some of these brands? But the scary thing is, I think if you look at it, I mean, the, the Laureus Sport for Good Index only had 30 or had 30 brands on it this year. That's fantastic. And those are 30 brands doing well. But then if you look at how many brands are involved in sponsorship, why isn't that number bigger? And if you think about the impacts that these 30 brands are having, why can't we get more brands to do this and do it in a way that fundamentally, if you see the sum of the parts, is going to be so much better um, in that way. So yeah, I think um, some great brands out there, many of them. I don't know, Eileen, if you have a few more that you want to throw in? Yeah, one of my favorites um, lately is Ally Financial, which is a digital bank uh, based in the U.S., 
Um, and not not very old, not very established, but from the outset, they they established the bank because they felt there was a certain part of the population that was unbanked or underbanked and felt that they could serve that void much better and reach people who maybe weren't in in a space to to it um, to go to a, a bricks and mortar bank. But one of the things they is so equity is a is a core value for them. And the way they've played that out is through partnerships with women's sports, with uh, the NWSL, which is the National Women's Soccer League, the North American Women's Soccer League, um, certainly with Angel City. And where they really leaned into it was with the gender pay equity, um, but also broadcast visibility equity for women's sports, saying, look, our brand is about is about opening access, inclusivity. And so we're going to we're going to go all in on this fight. And one of the things they did as a sponsor was go to uh, the broadcaster and say, look, this sport isn't being shown in prime time. We'll pay for it. We're behind it. And we're going to get a few other sponsors to do that. So, you know, it's it's spending, but it's it's also using your influence. Um, on the rights holder side, another one I really like um, is how the NBA and the WNBA have embraced social justice um, and they're they're standing up with that value and bringing a number of companies along with them who, you know, really, you know, that's something we want to get behind. So they no longer play on Election Day. They turn their venues over to be election sites, voting sites, voter registration sites. They do a full on campaign. The players are wearing shirts, register to vote, vote. Um and some of their promos and giveaways have been around that as well. This year, I was sent an email that said, if you show your I voted badge uh, through social media, so they're getting some user generated content, um, then you're entered to win uh, tickets or a jersey or something like that. So just fantastic playthrough. But it also then opens the door for the brands who are saying, we believe in social justice. And now this is a property we want to go partner up with because we can see that we share that value. I guess as brands look to align themselves with particular causes, there does become um, the potential for the risk of sports washing. What are your thoughts on, is this holding people back? Um, Or is there a kind of recommendations for what they need to do to avoid uh, finding themselves in in being accused or committing sports washing? I can jump in with one of the easiest things that any brand marketer on on that side can do is walk down the hall and talk to your chief sustainability officer of your company. Um, And if they're on vacation, then go to your website or open your company's sustainability report and and start to read it. And those are actually much easier to read in many cases than the financial report. Discover what your company is a good corporate citizen about to start um, before you go to the whiteboard um, with your agency, with the property you're partnered with, and start throwing out ideas. Discover what you're good at and what you're maybe not so good at. Mm-hmm. Another area you can go to is check third-party ratings of your company. So there's CDP, which is the Carbon Disclosure Project. Um, there's a number that in the UK that you have the gender pay equity reports. Um, see how you're doing. Uh, and if you're not doing well on some of those third-party report cards, um, maybe uh, maybe don't embrace that topic, even if it's the topic du jour. 
Um, I know one place where people were caught out on uh, definitely on this side of the pond, I know it was a global movement, was Black Lives Matter. Everybody jumped in, made a statement, uh, you know, made donations, got involved with our historically black colleges and universities. But everyone will tell you that two to three years later, 90 percent of that is gone. So, uh, yeah, those are my first two starting points. <laughs> Discover what you're good and not good at, what's material to your company and not and then hold to it. And it's about that long term commitment, isn't it? I think that's key. Yeah. And, and I, to, just to build on that, I think it's about authenticity as well. Like, you know, it's not a case of um, what we don't want to do. And I think green uh, sport washing becomes kind of banded around as as quite a negative thing, because it's a case of are we just trying to shut down certain certain places, certain people just for the sake of it, because we don't want them in the game. But it's about understanding that actually there might be people out there that want to use their sports sponsorship as a way to evolve develop and change so mm -hmm. rather than kind of using it as this this kind of stick that we're going to hit oh my god it's greenwashing actually let's take the time to understand and i think brands that can look at that and go actually we're going to use this to use this to educate consumers on their energy usage or stuff like that and or stadium builds or things like that then i think it's always it's such an easy one to go oh my god it's it's kind of sport washing but I think it's about being authentic. It's about making sure you've done the due diligence on that. And it's happened a lot of times. I mean, you see how the backlash was with Brewdog in the FIFA World Cup last year. I mean, they had a dig at, you know, FIFA, and then someone went digging into the background of Brewdog and found that actually you're not that, you know, you're, not, you're, you're, you're kind of not perfect. So I think it's about making sure you've done the due diligence, putting your hands up to say that what you've had, and that's all about being authentic uh, and being genuine about it. Because these days you can't hide; it's just as simple as that. You're not going to be able to hide anywhere. Someone's going to find out. Yeah, and I think Eileen, you kind of say as such in your piece, you're like, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be honest. Yeah, and and you know, again, Chris, circling back to our earlier point of long form storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, you have the advantages through partnerships in sports to do that because you have multiple media around the team or the league that you're partnered with that are on 365, 24-7, the digital channels, the website, the chatter that's going on. So that's one advantage. The other is, you know, we love a good analogy in sports. We use them all day long. We understand that our team is not perfect um, I can say this. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. It's really hard. But <laughs> but we we show up again and again because we show up when we see they're making progress, we give them credit. Um, when we see they're falling short, it, you know, we're going to look at what's happening and we're going to adjust. We're going to say, you know, so you can as as a brand, you can leverage these analogies to say, oops, you know, that was an own goal but we're going to do better next time. We're going to make that up. We're going to be better in the second half. Um, so all of these, all of these wonderful things um, makes this a great platform for you to be very honest, to continuously report on progress, and certainly to tell a fuller, richer story of what your ultimate goals are and how you plan to get there. Okay, well, look, I'm convinced, uh, but say, 
our listeners out there, they're like, okay, yeah, I want to get started. So what can brands and agencies do to shift to a values-based sponsorship model? So I, look, I think there are, I think one of it is really understanding why why you want to get involved. Mm-hmm. And I think it works on both sides from a rights holder point of view and a brand side of view. But from a brand point of view, you've got to understand, okay, and it comes down to what I said earlier. One of the key points that I said in my piece was about robust metrics and business objectives. So you've got to understand what you're trying to do. So first off, get that piece, because whether you like it or not, you have to go and get this signed off internally. So you've got to go to your CMO, your CEO, your president or whatever, and it's got to have that kind of that business grounding. Then the other piece is finding the fundamental, as as Eileen says, about what are the things that you do as a business, that you as your corporate social responsibility, the areas that you want to help build. When that can be through your products, that can be through what you do in your communities, through your supply chain, whatever. So you look at those, and then what you do is you go and look within the sports world as to what are the kind of sports or rights holders that would align best with you on that. So one, then you get the commonality. And again, it works the other way for the rights holder. So the rights holder has a big dig into what they're trying to do is build their community or they're trying to save on energy and things like that. And then they go and try and match the two. So this is a bit like speed dating for want of a better analogy, but you're kind of speed dating and where am I going to find the right the right partnership? And I use the word partnership rather than you know commercial contract kind of relationship because... It is about getting into bed with the person that's going to or the the right the brands or the rights holders that you're going to grow together. You're going to see this build over time and you can do that and it will engage with your fans. It will engage with your consumers and you'll see the benefits come out of it after that. So that's how I would do it is really, you know, have a look at what you're trying to do and then find the people to do it best with. Okay, that sounds sounds great. And it, it, you made it sound really simple. But I guess if it was that simple, more people would be doing it. Um, but but Eileen, over to you. Have, you. have you got anything to add there? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that we saw is it is difficult. You don't have a chief sustainability officer in the room to tell you which way to go all the time when you're trying to forge a partnerships. So um, we have developed something that's a bit of a quick due diligence tool to guide properties and rights holders toward that. Um, You know, it's a quick analysis of being able to parse through a sustainability report and go, oh, I see, I get it. So a bit of a cheat sheet, if you will, and a due diligence um, that you can work with and say, all right, um, this is where we're good. This is what we see this other organization is good at. Um, It can also, you know, take you away from topics Again, if everybody's jumping into the pool on whatever the topic du jour is, uh, you know, it might be humanitarian aid, it might be diversity, equity, inclusion, and certainly every day is the planet. Um, You know, just check through your partnerships and say, all right, have the conversations, ask the questions. Um, But certainly there are increasingly additional tools and, and we as a B Corp will continue to put things out into the universe that we think are helpful to to everybody in this space, because at the end of the day, we want more of these partnerships. Fans want more of these partnerships. The the gravitational pull to them is outstanding. The the return on investment for um, the cases that we have, the Angel Cities, the Seattle Krakens, the Forest Green Rovers, um, Liverpool with the Red Ways, sorry, all non-Liverpool fans, um, but they are doing a good job. 
um, Man City as well is doing an excellent job on a number of fronts. So I would also encourage people to not have that knee-jerk reaction to the one item that a brand or a sports property does wrong. Try to look through on balance and, and also look at all the things they do right. If we want to see a better world that's advanced through brands and our sports properties, we really have to acknowledge when they're doing the right thing as vocally and um, strongly as when we jump on them for doing the wrong thing. And, and Lena, just to build on that, you said about simplicity. I think the challenge you have within a lot of businesses is silos. So the way that this is successful is about integration, because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we are deemed as a commercial team, a marketing team, an ESG team, an HR team, who all operate in their own verticals. The, the trick is, is to how to get the horizontals that cut across it, which is where you get your synergies. Mm -hmm. And that for me is where you're going to, yes, I made it sound simple. I, that is not easy in the slightest. Getting different departments to work together within businesses or within rights holders can be challenging, but that's the kind of secret source into it for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And we're seeing that happening. We're seeing the the brand partnerships, the, the partnerships discussions are starting to incorporate multiple departments from the sports side because the brands are asking them, what are your ESG criteria? What are you doing around these things? So we are seeing that or initial area of it. And there's lots of places to look around um, the Green Sports Alliance, Sport Positive Leagues in Australia, Sports Environment Alliance are all constantly posting good examples of these things. Um, as as is work with this series, highlighting highlighting these opportunities. So it is a wave. Um, there are plenty of places to look for examples and plenty of people to call and say, how are you doing that? We'd like to start yeah, and 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 I think James, one of the points you made was, um, you know, you've, you've got to sell this to the to the board, to the C-suite, and I suppose a part of that is proving the ROI, proving the return on investment. So let's let's talk a little bit about measurement. Um, how should marketers measure their ROI? Um, I think you made some really good points in your piece. Yeah, and it, it is a difficult one, but we always have to understand most most of the times they're trying to bid for budget for to do these from a brand point of a brand point of view, and it's really again about okay, so what am I trying to do from a business point of view, and then what am I trying to do on the other areas? So, you know, there's not going to be the clear kind of sales uplift that you're going to get from some of the ESG things, but you are going to have trust scores that can go up. And we know that increased trust scores does drive to better consumer loyalty and in theory drives more purchase. So you've got to look at those tangible and intangible kind of metrics and you've got to be clear about those at the beginning. The other thing is, is it's rare that you're going to get a short term deal within sports sponsorship. It's always going to be three, five, ten, whatever the number of years are. So allow yourself a bit of test and learn as you go. So yes, you're going to have certain elements. It is we're going to drive sales or we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Actually, but there's another place that we look at. And I, and I can give the example of when, you know, we did the placard bearers in Tokyo 2020 with Coke, which was a new activation within the Olympic kind of multiple different activations. And whilst that was a great piece in terms of media value that was driven, over $50 million of media value driven, 
it's about actually we st- we drove an increase in diversity awareness in the whole of Japan with the other partners, not just with Coke, but you know of fourteen percent. That's quite fundamental. But it wasn't something we went, oh, that's what we're going to do, because it's a test and learn. It was the first time we've done it. So brands that are now, we want to invite new and different brands that are coming into sports sponsorship that can add more value in different ways and start to do a bit of a test and learn as we go. And that's the thing. You've got to say that out to the management and leadership to go, hey, when this year we're going to test. We're not going to spend a lot, but next year we're going to do. And then you grow it year on year on year. And that's mm-hmm. when you'll get success for me but being clear about the objectives, clear about the metrics, so you can see what's working and what's not. And as Eileen said, if it's not working, that's fine. Just work out Mm. why and change it. And taking that whole holistic viewpoint to your measurement, so it's a shift, isn't it, from just sales to the more intangible side of things as well, such as trust and reputation and all of that. Yeah, we're definitely seeing them them come in right into the sponsorship contracts with KPIs around whatever it is they want, carbon reduction, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion, procurement goals of local procurement, um, health, safety, education goals. They're putting right into the contract saying, this is our corporate goal. How are you going to help us deliver on this KPI? And as I mentioned at the top of this, these are all getting reported. This is regulated reporting of progress on these goals. So it, it does matter. Um, some In some cases, even more so um, than some of your sales goals. You know, getting an uptick of um, a half a percent in sales may not be as important as avoiding, um, you know, getting delisted from an exchange because you've fallen quite, quite short from, from uh, something that you were mandated to do. Right, guys, I'm conscious of time, but is, is there anything you, you want to add before we jump off? Look, yeah, I think the, the, the thing is, I think for many years, sponsorship sometimes looked like a bit of a black box and people didn't know really what it, how it works and stuff. I think this is the opportunity. This is the time when the sports sponsorship is evolving. It's got to be open. You've got to have that conversation, both rights holders and brands, because this is an ecosystem. Sports fundamentally doesn't work without rights holders or without sponsorship. So this is about using the power of sport for the right reasons from a business point of view and a society point of view. And this is where you'll make the impact and that's where you'll get the reward. So for me, if you've got questions, you know, there's great things like Eileen's kind of scorecard thing. There's lots of resources out there. Reach out to Walk as well. Like there's there's great stuff out there that can help you as a brand or as a rights holder to get this right and see the industry evolve in the right way, which I think we all want to see for for the greater good of everything. So for me, it's exciting times, but uh, yeah, if you've got questions, ask. Eileen? Yeah, I would say don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, And also don't be afraid to start the conversation. If you're the brand and you're looking at your sports property and, and thinking, I would like to do something like this, just start the conversation there. That's where a lot of this got jump-started was with the brands coming to the properties saying, we'd like you to help us realize this goal or that goal. So um, don't accept the rate card, (laughs) make your own. Great stuff. Sounds sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much, James and Eileen, for sharing your time and your expertise with me today. If you're interested in more on this topic, you can access James's opinion piece on walk.com and subscribers can access the full four-part series on walk. 
If you haven't done so already, you may want to subscribe to The Walk Podcast on your favourite podcasting platform so that you don't miss another episode. Thank you for listening.